Greetings, friends. I'm Will Nicholas, your timekeeper. And I'm Hunter Michelle Kaufman. And I'm variant Darren Wright. And this is Loki, the Sacred Timeline. Sorry, on a tangent. The TVA got him. Oh, no. You have to do that again. I insist. You must. Free will. Free will. No, no. Um. Anywho. Loki. Sacred Timeline. Never odd or even. Welcome everyone to Loki the Sacred Timeline. This is episode two where um, we hear a little bit more of the story of Loki and we're here with Will and Michelle and I'm Darren. Hi, I'm Michelle. So episode two is called The Variant. Loki joins the TVA mission on the site of an attack. They come to realise that the variant is one step ahead of them, but Loki and Mobius confirm the possibility that they are hiding in the apocalyptic timelines. So they go to confront the variants, but then something happens, and which we'll discuss, and then Loki escapes. This episode, um, whilst it's a bridging episode, it's really designed to get us from where we started to where we finish has got so much in it for us, uh, so many different ideas to explore, uh, ideas about apocalypse and revelation, about identity, about belief, um, about escapism and um, cosplay fairs and medieval fairs. Um, where do we want to start, crew? Um, how, how do we want to kick this off um, as, a, as a bridging episode between um, the really the bureaucracy of the beginning and the adventure that's actually about to, to, to come as we launch through that uh, amber door in time? Well, for those of you who are watching live on the Patreon, might see that I am dressed in black with my black wet hair and my green lipstick because I am cosplaying a variant of Loki. Uh, and we get a bit of cosplay this episode with the Renaissance Fair. And one of the comments is that, hey, you guys aren't doing this correctly because some of us need it. And that's a bit of escapism, which we'll explore um, yeah, further yeah. on. And people who go to those types of things are sometimes a bit frowned upon, um, probably not as much these days. I think it's gotten a lot more popular, but it is um, something that seems nerdy or uh, not normal, so we, we don't understand that. But sometimes putting on a character and putting on a role um, actually helps us escape what where we are at the moment and um, can even... Yeah, allow ourselves to the the moment, even if it's just fleeting, of uh, exploring being someone else. So, have you ever been to a Renaissance fair or done any cosplay? Um, I'm just I'm interested in uh, whether or not that's something you've uh, you've been a spectator to or you've actually jumped into. I've never gone to a Renaissance fair. Um, I just haven't had the opportunity. But I have done a, a bit of cosplay, uh, some weird, uh, obscure characters uh, that only a few people have recognised over time. But I have been to many Comic Cons and Supernovas and uh, Nerd Fest. Uh, more along the lines of fantasy and co um, comic books as opposed to the Renaissance. So, Darren, any any cosplay for you? Oh, I've done my dress up, but not necessarily cosplay. Um, in fact, today we, we were supposed to this week be designing a costume for my son for book week, but we find ourselves in quarantine, which is probably in entry level um, cosplay, but um, but but not in the same way. Um, but no. I did find it interesting that they went into the cosplay area and they 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 show the Renaissance fair, but it's almost in it's it's in jest. And I wonder why we always tend to make fun of people in Renaissance fairs. I mean, it's it's comedy gold in a lot of places, and Loki uses it. Um, Big Bang Theory use it, and a number of other other TV shows and films use it, sort of to make fun of a, a number of people. And I wonder why it's always the Renaissance fair. Well, I loved it. They actually went to it not just in a Renaissance fair, but in 1985, in the heart of the Satanic Panic, where these kinds of things were actually really niche. That that places like um, churches and others would actually not just have kind of thought it was a, a weird absurdity, but would have questioned a person's 
very very soul uh the very the essence of who they were if they were prepared to participate in such a thing um so 1985 um was was a really good time for them to choose to go in there and they weren't really dressed like 1985 natives either they were kind of doing the uh future cop thing uh in um in in 1985 i think there was a little bit of arrogance in that um because they're because of their job jumping in and out of timeline like we don't need to dress up like say uh the series doctor who dressed um, especially the later series they all dress up in um period appropriate clothing to go out of the tardis whereas the tva doesn't have that there this is my uniform i'm going into any time uh we see the same in episode one with mobius and the timekeepers uh the Minutemen. sorry uh in medieval france uh they're they're just in their uh in their uniform instead of the period pieces and so there's that little bit of arrogance going into um the timeline saying it doesn't matter you guys won't remember we'll reset it anyway uh there's no consequences for me appearing here um dressed as i am there's a beauty about being able to walk out and just hit a reset button on your way out and just disintegrate everything in a local area as, they, as Loki points out. Absolutely. And consequences is another one of the um, themes, I think, that's actually really big in this, where there's that whole question of why should I worry about anything that I do if there are no consequences for my actions, um, if I can just just reset things or change things or, or put things back the way they were. And the noting that if, if you're a variant, um, you do something that is not supposed to happen, um, and there are consequences that come out of those actions. But there are places, we are told, where your your actions actually do not have consequences or not enough consequences to cause a TVA's interest. In the midst of apocalypse, uh, isn't it amazing how in the middle of apocalypse, it's almost like all bets are off. And this is not a new theme. I mean, you watch The Walking Dead, um, you watch Armageddon, you watch Looking for a Friend at the End of the World, um, any of these different different apocalyptic moments um, that people are actually going, well, I can do whatever I like. I can run up a credit card debt. I can I can go and punch the person I've always wanted to punch because, because in the end um, it all gets destroyed anyway. And so, so being good is actually only a, a, an, an action – of of potential consequences that we're not in some ways this message comes out that kind of says we're not good for for goodness sake we're actually only good because of the things that might actually come back to hurt us if we're actually bad and taking a smaller apocalypse uh you get that trope of i'm going i've got six months to live so i'm going to do whatever i want Uh, i'm going to uh, tell that bully that they're a terrible person just like I've always wanted to I'm going to like you said run up credit debt and just buy or go on a one last vacation or uh, do whatever I like and yes sometimes that whatever I like is I'm going to tell the person I really like them um, because I've never had the courage to because there are no consequences because the consequences is I'm not going to be there to deal with the consequence (laughs) so uh, yeah, we we get that not only in oh the world's going to be destroyed, but myself uh, is going to leave a way. You know, I'm going to drop a pebble into water, and those ripple effects uh, don't don't matter to me because I've sunk to the bottom of the lake. So, unless you're Han Solo and you're about to be frozen in carbonite, and they say I love you, and your answer is I know. Um, you know, like uh, there, there is that sense in which when the world is coming to an end, when um, things are, are never going to be the same again, people gain a sense of unconsequential courage that allows them to participate in a way they've never participated before. Um, and that's a fascinating thought. I was going to say, I, I found it really disappointing that the only things that Loki could come up with at the end of the world in an apocalypse was to let a whole pile of goats free and to dance around. <laughs> like, this is a, this is a god of mischief. He could get up to anything and all he does is this little act and they go, oh, no, it didn't change anything. Um, it makes His ancient wa- Italian was good, though, wasn't it? He, he had a good grasp of that. 
But but in the in the line of consequence, we have this scene also where he gets given uh, uh, the job to go through all this paperwork, and he chooses to go get his own file. So he reads his own file and finds out the consequences to all of the things that he would have chosen to do had he continued on that path, including the including Ragnarok and the destruction of his home. Um, and, and I wonder what that what kind of thing it does to someone when you find out the consequences before they happen or consequences to things that you would never to things that you would never do. Um, because he will never ever live those things out now because he's been taken out of that timeline. It takes away the level of learn from experience because you haven't experienced it. So, uh, and how much of that we see it does affect him, you know, that over 9,000 Asgardians lost their lives in, in Ragnarok. Um, he does have that moment of um, my home that, um, I was just in because uh, once again we have to remember um, how young this Loki is compared to the MCU. Um, he was probably only there, you know, a few years ago. So the dis- total destruction of Asgard really did affect him a bit. But then he kind of got that thinking of, okay, well I've got a job to do. So we we saw um, visually that there was an impact which a lot of people probably wouldn't expect from a villain, um, air quotes, but we are obviously trying to be sympathetic to him because he's the main character. I found that really interesting too in that, you know, we have that moment of sadness, the the, the moisture welling in his eyes as he's reading the document, um, but, but then the latest scene when he's talking to Mobius and Mobius says, I'm sorry about that, and he says, uh, how sad, you know, like, and, and moves on. Um, and... and I've seen a number of commentators actually talk about this scene as if he's like a psychopath. You know, these things don't affect him; that he moves around unfeeling. But but the first scene really says that that he does feel it and he feels it deeply. But when he has purpose, when he's on the job, when he's when he's got a task to do, when he can be a part of a a, a possible solution, he's able to put his grief aside and go forward. And I found that, and I was thinking about that in my own life. That that often. My moments of grief actually come where things are, are bad or things are sad and there's nothing I can do, but all of that can actually be swept aside very quickly as soon as there's a possible future, a possible way forward. It's almost the opposite of consequence. It's like like this idea that I can take actions that will affect um, the future. I know. I know that I get I get my uh, stress migraines for let's use that as an example and I get stress migraines when I'm very stressed but uh, surprisingly I get stress migraines after I have been stressed and a lot of doctors have told me that that's actually um, very common because it's a, a drop almost like you've been through this situation you've had this stress and now you've got time to rest and take care of yourself that's a lot of the time when um, the migraines in this particular scenario happen. So when we have time to process things and which he has a bit of time once he realises it, but like you said, he he's on task and probably by the time he's gotten to Mobius, he's processed it in such a way that it's, yeah, it might seem um, sociopathic to... Uh, to people who have outlooked, but we don't know, or people don't know how much time passed or his thought process that went into um, the destruction of Asgard. So it very, um, very good of them. On, on the on the topic of consequences, there's there's another conversation that happens um, uh, in this in this uh, episode with Loki, where he points out, I think that that the only people that seem to be free are the TVA because they're the only ones that operate outside of the timeline and their choices and decisions actually have implications. Um, it seems to be there's also um, one other person who whose choices um, have consequence and that's uh, the, the other variant, the variant that we're, that we're chasing at the moment um, because the reality at the moment is we're we're being told that there is one sacred timeline and there is one consequence, one way that this is all going to go, 
and it's all been either predetermined or prearranged or sorted. And so whatever choice I make, is it really actually a consequence if I don't have any other choices? It's that whole red pill, blue pill stuff we get from the matrix, you know, like that, that, that whilst ever you're in it, whilst you're embedded in the sacred timeline, you are utterly unaware of your inability to make choices or decisions until you suddenly find yourself outside of it. And then you become aware of the fact that there are all of these extra choices that you didn't know that you weren't making or you didn't know you couldn't have. And we see that in, in Loki quite seriously all the way through the, the, frustration he has of the idea that all these choices actually don't mean things like you mean i don't have free will of course i do i made these decisions and it was like the the frustration about not um of finding out that those things were actually already predetermined and the tva is um as much as it exists outside the sacred timeline have their own um agenda the three space lizards, the magic, have uh, their agenda is to make sure the sacred timeline is the one. So if a TVA um, agent went and rode on a jet ski, uh, apparently there would be consequences, not just to the sacred timeline, but I guess he would also get destroyed by uh, the same way that all these variants are getting destroyed. So uh, that is a consequence. And for those of you who heard me get bleeped out last week saying that uh, Mobius wanted to ride a jet ski, that is what I was going to say last week. Uh, And I took it out just in case there was a spoiler alert happening. Uh, It was pruned from the sacred podcast timeline um, last week. And uh, and and now now we get to say we can talk about jet skis as much as we'd like. And I do apologise. I listened back. I was the one to break the spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologise, Timekeeper Will. I apologise, Variant Taryn. I was the first one to break. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure you all understood that you will be pruned if you do step outside the yes. spoiler sacred timeline. I, I'm surprised I'm still here <laughs> for this episode. Well, there's a big question is, are you or are you just a different variant? That's right. My, my lips are a different colour. <laughs> we, 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 pr- we prune that version of you and reset the timeline and so you're the one that didn't actually <laughs> spoil anything. So uh, I, there's uh, a couple of things in terms of time travel I wanted to pick up, just some, you know, nerdy trivial things. So um, uh, 1985, uh, Marty McFly is um, getting into the DeLorean and taking off back to 1955, somewhere else in that timeline. But it appears that the uh, the TVA is not interested in that one. So that must be one of those time incursions that's supposed to happen. Um, also, uh, in Pompeii, um, we have some really messy uh, time stuff from Doctor Who where – um, uh, David Tennant, who is the 10th Doctor, um, is actually um, present in Pompeii with Peter Capaldi, who plays the um, 12th Doctor, um, and also um, with um, Amelia Pond, uh, who accompanies the 11th Doctor, uh, all in Pompeii. Um, the actors have been reused and recycled in these spaces, and uh, there's a whole lot of fan fiction that actually suggests that um, that they were actually there undercover, that the 10th Doctor rescues the 12th Doctor and could not declare himself or the 12th Doctor couldn't declare himself to the 10th, otherwise they may actually meet each other. So uh, there was a really interesting time story from Doctor Who. At the same time as just down the road, Loki's letting the goats out and talking to the locals in Italian. So... This, this apocalypse is hiding a great many variations in the time stream. There's, uh, on the Doctor Who, there are two different explanations for this. There's the in-canon, um, when the 11th Doctor turns into the 12th Doctor, he actually says the line, I recognise this face, I know this face before. So it, it suggests that in his regeneration, he chose a face that was familiar because they did have that, Um, interaction with the 10th Doctor. In um, our reality, it was just that 
you know, British actors <laughs> were used in a British TV show. And then uh, later on, they got a different role. So that's a, another thing of there's in, you know, in canon. And then uh, there's a TVA version where it was, <laughs> uh, where it was a bit different. So. Well, it wasn't picked up because it was in the midst of an apocalypse. So that's, um, that's fantastic. Uh, Doctor Who also hides in the apocalypse. As you might notice when you do watch Doctor Who, that Doctor Who does tend to spring from place to place, um, from apocalypse to apocalypse, um, and not necessarily a solving or stopping the apocalypse. In that episode of Doctor Who, um, uh, the 10th Doctor is um, said to say, this is a fixed moment in time, one that cannot be changed. Um, and that, so they're not allowed to save anyone uh, from Pompeii. Uh, in the same way. Otherwise, I, I, I'm guessing he might be afraid that TVA might come after him. It affects uh, the consequences of saving someone is it affects the future because that person is no longer causing the vacuum of not being there, um, whether it's death or taken out of the timeline. Um, they're still there affecting the t um, in a free will type of way not just my death causes grief but in a i'm here i'm going to go buy an apple and then there therefore there's one less apple in that store and they run out of apples and then they're you know robbed or something you know like that kind of butterfly effect um i'm, I'm going to go back to marvel for a couple of seconds sorry um i love doctor who um but i, I, I was just starting to think that if there are no consequences like if uh, if you're living in a timeline that is um already planned um, and then you find yourself suddenly outside of that, as Loki has. Um, suddenly, like, you're told that there weren't consequences before, but now there are consequences. Um, do you start fearing the decisions you make? Do you start thinking, well, is there good and is there bad? Is there a binary here? I mean, in, in, the, in, in this story, I found myself actually starting to root for the variant very early on in this story. Um, and I'm not sure if it's because of my dislike or distrust of institutions or if it was because this variant was obviously playing outside of the consequences that have already, well, the outside the story that's already been sorted out by the sacred timeline. Going to another Marvel show, we've now currently in the middle of What If?, uh, and that deals with changes to the um, sacred timeline. What if um, something slightly changed, therefore changed the future? So we've got the Watchers, um, Uatu, uh, specifically narrating the what if, tell, showing us these, um, these Nexus events that caused uh, and were probably pruned uh, through the TVA. So... Um, we're seeing consequences of actions through this what if so and I think I didn't quite pick up on the love for the variant just purely because I didn't know what the variant's end game was um, until the end where it, what it's not about you and then it's like okay well yeah like we, we were conditioned because the show was called Loki and we've had two episodes of Loki being the main character suddenly this variant going it's not about you dude <laughs> like you know so, some of us don't think about you the same way that you think about you um, like Mobius is all about Loki too when we've got all these talks about Loki being this variant so it kind of blindsided you when they said hey <laughs> like it's nothing to do with you and so um, we have this talk about free will which I think is what I picked up on a little bit more but yeah you, putting it that way Darren you're completely right in that um, you know the TVA and the variant are working quite differently and all the way through this episode well near the end of this episode we really are left without an understanding of what loki has chosen like has he chosen himself has he chosen good or bad and what is good or bad all the way through it we're not really sure who he's which side he's on if he's on a side at all i came away from the end with a lot of a bit of a different reaction to a lot of um, reactions I saw online because I saw it as chasing after the variant as opposed to betraying Mobius and the TVA because TVA, I saw it as 
this um, variant that we've been chasing has gone through a portal, uh, they're running towards it, they might not get there in time, I'm going to go through the portal myself because that's the goal. And a lot of people like, no, he should have waited, he should have um, let Mobius catch up, but then who's to say that would have um, the time door would have stayed open as long as it did. So uh, a lot of people came at it with a betrayal. Well, and we're conditioned, I think, for that, um, you know, that, that there's a sense in which um, whilst we might be suspicious of the TBA, um, we definitely like Mobius. Um, the casting of Owen Wilson in this role, um, another person who's been to Pompeii more times than Doctor Who, um, has, has actually um, um, made an endearing character. There's just something... I don't know, comically Columbo-ish about the role that he's playing and that Owen Wilson brings to it that that kind of allows us to say um, you're a part of an organisation we're nervous about and suspicious about, but we we like you. And and so when, when Loki's at that point where he's going, do I choose to stay on the task, like chase Loki, chase the variant, um, or, or do I wait and see? Um, he he can do no other than be himself. He's impertinent and and he's impulsive, and so he jumps through the closing gate. It's the chaos that he has to be a part of. Um, but I also kind of felt both things, you know. Oh, this is going to put Mobius in a really difficult position, um, but Loki really could. If he did anything else, I would have been disappointed. Um and once again, it's kind of like he's predestined to do this. This is this is how he's how he's written, how he's formed, how he's made. Um, which brings me to a really interesting line. Sometimes you just want to stop playing the same part. Um, you don't want to be cast in the same role. And 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 where is this space for change? When I when I heard that, I, I thought immediately of. Of, of biblical characters like Judas and Pharaoh and Cain who have been cast in this role and actually, well, well can't be anything different, um, that they actually had no choice but to be what they were. They were destined to be the villains. Judas has become synonymous with traitor. <laughs> like, that's his legacy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Darren? <laughs> yeah, we, but there are a number of stories in Scripture of people who... Um, whose names changed, whose purpose changed. Um, mm. We think of Paul um, being one of them. But in the in the Hebrew Scriptures, there were a lot of times when people had actually pretended to be someone else and um, or had been renamed because their purpose had changed. Peter being yep. another one in the New Testament. Um, we hear, But we hear a number of those stories of what happens when you do change your purpose. And Jacob gets renamed as Israel, yeah, yep. So what happens when your purpose does change? And is uh, is that what we're seeing? Um, I mean, it's partly what we were seeing in the in the Marvel universe in the, in the cinemas was um, that Loki's role was changing a little bit. We were starting to actually feel for him, and it's interesting to figure out when, when you actually started liking him. Was it after the eyeball poking out, or after being beaten to a pulp by the Hulk? Like, um, when did you start? actually feeling for him was it when his mother died um because that stuff hasn't happened yet so why are we currently rooting for this this version of loki i think uh we get a bit of psychology from uh mobius uh who is using uh loki's loki as a variant uh to catch this other variant um we get that Oh, you just wanna you just want attention. You just want um to be right, which is what Loki says <laughs> to convince him. You know, there's one thing I, I um you know that I like, and it's to be right. So even though I might stab you in the back, <laughs> even though I said I'd never do it again, um, I definitely won't this time because I need to prove my point. I like talking. I like this. Um, so we get a bit of that psychology of Loki through Mobius in this episode, which kind of, is it a fast track, another way of fast tracking our sympathy for Loki? That um, you know that he's around someone. He's being, um, I don't want to say controlled, but like he's being put on a leash 
to this person who seems to know him better than he knows himself in a way. Um, There's this interesting thing about naming as well. Like the understanding of this variant is that this is a variant Loki um, and this is Loki and Loki will say there's only really one version of me, which is the God of mischief. Um, And there there was something that was being played around in social media as this episode was aired was that um, in one version of the credits, um, I think it was a Spanish version, the variant um, was actually named Sylvie. In the English version, it was named The Variant. Um, and then suddenly when this name became public, a number of people started throwing out, oh, well, this might not actually be a Loki, or if it is a Loki, it's a, a different version of Loki. And um, what, does, what does a name what does a name create for us in scripture we we hear these stories of jacob wrestling with god and and god saying who are you and jacob owning his name where as before i think he'd pretended to be someone else and he wrestles with god and god gives him another name um and here actually interestingly enough um in the final credit scene the the gods of the marvel universe give this loki a different name and what changes do we see in the way we see this character now that not only do we see a different face but we now also see a, a different name attached to it such incredible liberation in in name changes in in shifting um you know one of the things that um uh, our family has been through um with with my son um who is who is trans um, as 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 he um, has taken on a name of his choosing, um, and that's actually been extraordinarily liberating for him. Um, and and uh, I kind of I've got a my youngest son actually has multiple names, but has chosen his middle name over the first name that he was given. So often in our society, we're kind of handed a name uh, in the same way we're handed gender often, um, and we we need to play the roles associated with those names, but. When things change drastically, when there are these apocalypses in our lives where things have actually been so so different, it sometimes becomes really, really important that we actually rename ourselves and 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 become a, a new creation. Well, in this storyline, what happens, from what I see happens, is that all the way through this storyline, we're talking about the variant being a Loki, and therefore we assume it to be a trickster, we assume it to be... Um, potentially violent and potentially evil, um, and they're going to hunt this person down. Um, by the very second that they named Sylvie, um, suddenly our opportunity, our options um, broadened. Maybe this person's good. Maybe this person's actually doing something different. Maybe Sylvie, because Sylvie is not necessarily Loki, might actually do things differently. And just by giving this this character, this variant, an, a different name, suddenly we were actually really interested in the story again. And by giving them a traditionally female name, we've gone from he's dangerous, he's a Loki variant, we need to be careful of him, to immediately, without any uh, prompting on the variant's um, behalf, to... She, <laughs> she's a Loki, uh, a Loki. she's a variant. Um, and Sylvie doesn't say anything to the contrary that she's not he or she is she. Like, um, as far as we're aware, we should still be saying he when, when we refer to Sylvie because there's been nothing different. But we immediately think uh, we've gone from one gender to the other simply on her name and her face. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's that's the thing about pronouns, isn't it? Yeah, so we've leapt into this um, because we've actually noted a, a, a biological sex change. Um, and so we, we do often, especially um, in, in, our, um, in our thinking, actually um, embed gender and sex and sexuality into just the one framework instead of actually recognizing that that we actually have have biological sex we've got our gender roles and we've got our sexual attraction and all three of these things are actually completely 
they're, they're not rolled up into one sacred timeline. They actually operate um, qu- quite independently of each other and and allow us to express ourselves um, in, in varied and different ways. We're considered a variant if we don't stick with that. I'd suggest that we haven't seen a, a sex change. We've seen a, a perception change. We've seen a, a an assumption change, um, but we haven't seen a sex change. Sylvie, from all we know, has always been Sylvie, and perhaps instead of he or she, we should actually call Sylvie Sylvie and um, and not presume a, a, a pronoun for for that character already. We have in the show confirmed, uh, same with the variant's name being Sylvie, confirmed in the um, in the titles, is that Loki is gender fluid. They are not male, they're not female, they are gender fluid, which means they can be uh, one or the other or both or neither, That depending on what Loki's... Um, uh, definition of um, gender fluidity is. So while we're calling Loki he, we, they could also be they. But I think we, within the show, they were, um, they were calling the variant he because they wanted the reveal that it was like they were, like Sylvie wasn't a he. But like you said, Darren, Loki's being female canonically in the MCU They've been female. So the fact that these um, TVA agents kept going, he, he, it just every, like, just say they. Like, it's not that hard. (laughs) They are dangerous. They are a variant. It's just, like, they they are working under assumptions, but it was just a very um, poignant part on the writer's perspective to be like, we need to make this reveal as shocking and... Um, you know, from out of the blue as we can. So we're going to turn our um, audience's assumptions using this language, this gendered language. And you're right. On the second watch through, it was very jarring. Like I, I actually, once you once you know what's coming, um, the constant intentional forceful use of the male pronoun um, becomes becomes so obvious, and I, I feel that in my church circles, um, when we're talking about God, um, that that much of our language in 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 our in our church literature, in our hymns, in our singing, in our liturgy, um, all all talks about Father, talks about He, talks about Him, um, when in fact um, there are uh, there are as many references um, historically to God. Um, as being uh, uh, as as being sh- uh, she her to being they them uh, and and even when God is asked to announce God's self in the Old Testament God always says I am um, to to avoid any kind of um, um, connection with one or another um, so yeah it does become very jarring um, once you become aware of the fact that it's exclusive um, that it actually um, would cause some to people, and I often wonder when we're when we're 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 saying the Lord's Prayer, for example, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name." Um, that for those for whom Father hasn't been a great figure, um, what does that feel like? What does that mean for those who um, are, are, are not male? Um, are they are they included or excluded from from? Um, experiences because of the use of the pronoun um, in that space. I wonder if we've been talking about choices, and I wonder if actually there's another another theme that sort of flows through this episode and and past and future ones as well, which is that of identity of who are you, um, and and I mean that signs into the, the name. The name matters um, for us. That Sylvie being named Sylvie means that maybe Sylvie's not a Loki, as we've. All, all, all assumed up to now, um, or maybe Sylvie is very different. Uh, but who, who are you, and who do you think you are? So Loki has to go back, and he reads through his life. He reads through, reads through his file, um, and has to come face to face with who, who he is, or who he would be. Um, and I wonder. I, I wonder if this. There's a lot of people who've been talking about this as being a procedural 
because that's what it, it gives you the feel that this is a procedural um, show, um, much like you would in a lot of the cop shows that you have to do all the research. But I'm wondering actually if there's also a part of this, it's also a coming of age story, an identity story, because we're watching someone come to terms with who they are and and who they might become. They Loki is always compared to this uh, to this variance. Uh, he's like, no, I'm the superior one. Oh, we have to chase the superior variants, and so he's struggling with that identity that um, uh, a lot of people will face in their lifetime of being compared to someone. So who am I versus who are they? And then. Is that a good thing, a bad thing? Like, I always um, was really annoyed at, when I was at school and I was uh, sitting in a classroom and the teacher would go, oh, you guys are acting terribly. The other class was perfect and did all their work. It's like, well, that's yeah, that's the other class. <laughs> like, oh, and when you go, when you're in retail, like, oh, the other store has it cheaper. It's like, go to the other store. Like, we're being compared all the time and we're being compared all our lives um, to other people, to other things, to other situations. So who, who you are can um, be a big question because it, ver- it can vary um, – from place to place like am i as am i um a good a good minister compared to will no (laughs) i'm not a minister so um in that situation no that's not who i am uh so everyone's really focused on this identity thing from outside that all the fans are trying to figure out um who this variant is and suddenly we've got this name and suddenly there's all these fan theories about who this person might be and track um, back to other storylines and giving everyone, um, giving this person some backstory um, or some guesses about backstory because suddenly we have a name and identity is, is important, but we also not wanting to give major uh, spoilers to the future. But I think the the conversation about who are you um, carries all the way through this, not this, this season, not just, for uh, Loki and not just for Sylvie but also for all of those around them is is who are you and what happens if if who you are has been challenged in in in, in any way like Loki comes face to face with his file does he change who he is or or or, or doesn't he Wanda in the WandaVision has to deal with the who am I as well um it is a, it is about grief um as well but who is she in that grief, who is she with these situ- um, these situations that have happened? Um, Captain America, uh, Sam Wilson, has to find out who he is um, to become, f- go from Falcon to Captain America. Bucky has to go, um, is Winter Soldier who I am or can I re-identify or rebuild that Winter Soldier mantle to something that I'm you know, more comfortable with. So we see not just, um, you know, Loki spoilers in the future that this question is big, but we are leading into something that we all deal with multiple times throughout our lives. And and it becomes, I mean, it almost um, soul-destroying when we discover that we are not who we believe we, we are. Like when we discover things about ourselves um, when, when you know, there are things that we know that that others know and there are things that we keep to ourselves, there are things that others know about us, but there's this whole area of existence about things that we don't know about ourselves and that no one knows until they, they become revealed, um, which takes us into the area of belief that I really wanted to talk about. Mobius and Loki have this conversation about belief and Loki is uh, is... is, is in many ways, ridiculing um, uh, Mobius's blind faith about three timekeepers and the sacred timeline, and and uh, Mobius replies, "I just believe what is, um, you know." Um, and and he says, "If you think hard enough about anything, then it becomes unbelievable." And I was really struck by that because 
I mean, when Mobius turns that belief back on Loki and he says, oh, well, look, you know, there's a, a plane of existence amongst the, the realms called Asgard where the gods walk and all of this kind of stuff, we go, oh, yeah, look, that's that's fantasy. And, and then people might look at what I believe and say a guy – um, who was the son of God, actually he came down and died on a cross 2,000 years ago so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Um, I could also say uh, in ancient times two molecules collided with each other and created a big bang which actually set everything else in motion. Um, if we look hard enough at any of the mysteries about these these narratives then they actually reach a point of becoming unbelievable and faith becomes required it does so that's where people who can um say so for the atheist to the christian like this is all silly it's like like you said that's where faith is important that's what jesus and god is asking us to do is to have faith um i don't need to see that gravity works every time to have faith that i don't jump off the cliff because of gravity like that's a scientific thing most people say that's different but in terms of knowledge and in terms of um a system outside of our control we have to have faith and some people faith is very important to them it might seem silly to someone else but it can be part of who they are that core belief that core faith in something bigger than themselves because like you said coming back to Loki he had a moment of sadness when it came um, when it came to the destruction of Asgard but then he had that um, belief that he could do something he could fix something. He had a purpose um, and he, all his faith and belief got kind of fixed. Darren, you're laughing. I can see it. <laughs> no, I, I, I was laughing because I, I, I just, sorry, it wasn't anything that you said. My brain just suddenly clicked. Like this is actually all part of our own internal um, issues with um, institutions and in particular with churches and what happens when your choice goes away. And, and faith is obviously in this place linked with another institution whose entire role is taking your choice away. Right. Um, so how often do we in, in our discourse talk about the church as a place that takes your choice away? Um, and, and I, I wondered how, how much we're like, there's a lot of my gut when I don't like the TVA. Um, I don't, and I don't trust institutions, but suddenly I just suddenly linked the, the faith that Mobius was having with a faith in the institution whose entire role was actually trying to make sure people live in the right way and who had faith in this God thing who was controlling it all. And even if we push back to things like gravity, uh, you know, when we, we used the example of gravity just a moment ago, from the very first moment that our brains comprehended that um, what goes up must come down, um, we've been trying to fight that. We've been trying to resist that. We, we, we've, we've attempted to, 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 to jump higher, to be greater, to, to leap off cliffs with strange contraction, contraptions of wings and fly, to leave the gravity of the earth and to prove that even this, this ever-shaping, insurmountable theory of gravity doesn't actually hold to us. It doesn't control us. We can actually leave the gravity of this world of this planet and we can leave it behind we can go out and float into space and so there, there is something in built in us to challenge every institution and and i i think you would have to name that as faith um the reality is that that for wilbur and orville Wright to actually decide to 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 get onto their machine and to take that leap of faith to see if they could defy gravity they had faith to do that they also were fighting other humans, uh, saying they couldn't do it. Like sometimes motivation, the best motivation isn't a job well done, it's spite. If someone tells you you can't do it, it can sometimes be more motivating than 100 people telling you you can. So you can't fly. Or, um, 
right, brothers, you're, you, you're not allowed, you can't, it's just impossible. Oh, okay, you're flying now because, you know, not saying that, that mo- their motivation was spite, but humans have this um, innate uh, sense of, I have to do this for me or I have to um, push against that, whatever you're saying, I have to challenge it. Um, and that's what we, that's what we see in that. And Loki's faith has been challenged a number of different ways. Like he thought, like he would call himself a god, but he's only a god to a to to a number of people who are who are less strong than him, who are not from Asgard, and and so hu- humans used to call him a god. Do they still call him a god, or do they um, just call him an alien? And he finds himself, and he finds himself now outside of time, still struggling with this idea of whose uh, um, whose faith is better, or whose faith is more real, because um, he finds himself face to face with the TVA, and suddenly these the, the tesseract doesn't mean anything. It's now just a paperweight. So everything he's held as as belief has been challenged um, and now he's in a different world with a different set of beliefs, but he's still challenging that. He's face-to-face to it. He's living in it and he still challenges it. And there's a massive tension then between just believing in what is and being ready to seek out what could be or what might be or what's beyond that. And that... that um, Unfortunately, one of the things that's happened with the controlling of the magisterium of the church over the last um, centuries is that um, there's been such a force to actually um, uh, restrict everybody to believing what is. Um, and and I, I guess that's actually forced others to move into the other binary position of saying, well, um, I, I won't believe in anything I can't see. And so fundamentalist atheism occupies the same kind of mindset as fundamentalist Christianity or Islam or or, or any other religious um, belief that you might find yourself in. Because once again, they're saying, I only believe in what I can see, what is, what, what, is, what is real. Um, we lose our capacity at both ends of the spectrum to imagine about what And I do be. want to mention, uh, make sure it's mentioned that being presented with brand new information doesn't mean um, you can you have to lose faith. It doesn't mean it's necessarily a challenge. It depends on how you receive that. So um, Mobius is in the TVA and he believes what is real. What happens if something isn't real anymore like Renslayer comes up and says you're not my favorite anymore that's brand new information to him (laughs) using that example so he has to adjust his faith or adjust his uh belief it's interesting that that missing hunter says it's real it's real it's real it's real over and over again yeah I just wanted to make make it um mentioned that um new information is good um, it doesn't automatically mean that your faith is um, bad or terrible. It's just that um, we should all be accepting of new information. Sometimes that new information is bad and wrong. Other times it's good, you know. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to, while we're talking about uh, faith, like you said, fun- fundamentalists are on extreme ends. Um, but people who say, like the Wright brothers went out and said, hey, we flew. So that's brand new information to people and that challenged their way of being. But that doesn't, you know. They said gravity doesn't control me, yeah. Just wanted to put that spin on it as well. Absolutely. Because people can change, people can change their minds. Uh, people, I'm not the same person as I was 10 years ago because I've been presented with new information, different experiences. I've learnt, you know, um, from that information and experiences. So um, I can still hold faith um, and that faith can still be important. It's just a matter of um, growing, not, not being stagnant. It probably is an interesting thing around, um, an interesting conversation to have about how you question other people's faith too. Um, Loki just flat out says, like, this is bull. 
Um, and, and I'm not sure if I've ever experienced a conversation that starts out like that around faith to end well. We, we usually then polarise into our positions um, and imagination gets lost. Um, so it takes a huge amount of grace that Mobius shows us in this to actually say, look, I'm going to defend my belief, but I'm actually not going to destroy you in the process. Um, uh, you know, and, and in fact, there's this, I think, really important imaginative playfulness that must be involved in authentic faith development, that, that if, if faith becomes about certainty, then it's no longer faith. Um, if it becomes about knowledge, then it's no longer an exploration uh, of of what's possible, that of of, uh, of what faith really needs to be, what what faith can be, um, is is a journey into imagination, rather than somehow over the last the Enlightenment has brought us to a point where we say, well, I can be certain, um, and so unless I'm certain about what I believe then my faith is somehow questionable. I had a conversation with a engineer uh, because I was explaining the possible side effects to a medication that he had picked up. And, um, and he said, I, why do you keep saying may and maybe? In, in, in engineering, you have to have uh, definites and, um, and, you know, to build a bridge, you have to know the steel uh, shrinks and expands so that you can build the bridge correctly. And I said, well, we're not like people who take these medications are so varied <laughs> that they, um, someone may have a side effect or may not have a side effect. There is no um, steel, steel has properties, whether it's steel steel is steel is steel whereas humans don't have that so the definition of um may and can um are very very different in context and even then in science and engineering in physics we discover new properties new possibilities new things we'd never experienced before when we come into new new places and stimuli um so it's uh you know like there, there's a sense in which um, I, I think certainty uh, and knowledge almost prevents innovation um, and belief. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting thing. Someone someone saw the Star Trek episode in the sixties where the door opened by itself as someone approached, uh, and they could have accepted that behind the sets there was a person opening and closing it. But instead, we now have motion detecting doors <laughs> like that open without the person behind the sets. So imagination um, isn't limited to knowledge, like you keep saying. So, absolutely. Well, look, that's been um, a tremendous episode for a bridging episode. We've been to Pompeii and to to Renaissance fairs and 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 explored belief and apocalypse, um, relationships and gender. I mean, that's that's an awful lot in one hour to take in. I may have to listen to this podcast over and over again. Uh, and if you'd like to do that, then you can subscribe to this podcast uh, wherever you subscribe, uh, um, uh, Never Odd or even Podcasts. Uh, this is the second in the series of Loki. We're going to work through each episode as we go. You can also, if you've enjoyed this, you can check out the other podcasts in the Never Odd or even channel uh you can look at deep faith nine or voyager uh, and uh i invite you to actually leave your comments on the never odd or even facebook page uh as uh, so many have done and uh, once again i just wanted to thank our patreon audience for joining us today um it's uh it's fabulous that uh, our patreon get an exclusive front row seat to the unedited raw version, unpruned sacred timeline uh, right in front of them. And uh, and so uh, we're really grateful for those who support. And if you'd like to be a Patreon supporter, then you can go to neverodoreven.media uh, at Patreon and you can, uh, you can help us to produce even more great podcasts just like this. They also get exclusive content, which if you just subscribe to the podcast, you aren't uh you don't get unless you are a patreon subscriber so make sure you check it out well that's all we've got time for darren have you got one more thought you wanted to squeeze into our podcast today um 
I, I, I appreciated the conversation earlier early on in, in, the, in the episode about being uh, assuming that you're the better self. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, I think if there's multiple me's, I'm obviously the better one of me. Um, are you the better one of you? I'm the best one of me. Uh, I say that with a false bravado. I have anxiety and overthink this, so there's multiple variables that are coming to mind to say whether I am or aren't, so uh, I can't answer that one right now. (laughs) I'd have to go away and overthink it for a bit. (laughs) There's only one of you, Michelle. The universe could not cope with more than one. I don't think many other people could either. Well, this has been the Loki, the Sacred Timeline podcast, episode two, called The Variant. Um, I've been timekeeper Will Nicholas. I've been hunter Michelle Kaufman. And I'm still variant Darren Wright. And I'm going to go head to the apocalypse that is the room like this.